Hey friends, Brett here to tell you that today's show is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Channel in Estes Park, Colorado. It's one of our favorite places to get your nature fix, where you can explore the real Rockies. From award-winning documentaries to music in the mountains, to a fun and adventurous podcast hosted by yours truly. This is Adventure with a Conscience. We think you're going to love it. Be sure to check it out and subscribe for free at RockyMountainChannel.com. See you there. To the mountain, and another fireside Friday here at Mountain Zen Den, where we meet with guests and share heart to heart the joys and benefits of the natural world for mindfulness and personal transformation. Naturally. I'm Brett Wilson, your host and trail guide, here to inspire you to connect with nature for mindfulness and personal growth today and every day. What does it mean to be a free thinker? Today we meet with one who calls himself the friendly free thinker. A skilled presenter, Chris Hyland has given public presentations, taught classes and led retreats for congregations, business groups, high schools, universities, social service workers and youth leaders. He has taught in Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, pagan, Unitarian, secular and other settings. His educational style is engaging and inspiring, drawing students or audiences into an active participation in the subject. He is a deep and thoughtful nature lover and author of two dozen plus books inspired by writers like Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, and naturalist John Muir. In this episode, Chris shares the concept of the forest of faith and the landscape of belief inspired by the wild world of nature all around us. He also discusses the importance of being present with animals and people alike, and he encourages us to truly listen, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. Finally, I believe you will love how Chris beautifully reminds us, through the writings of Emerson, Muir, and Thoreau, that because we are nature, no one can ever be completely disconnected from nature. So come on in. Chris Hyland, thank you so much for being here on our podcast with Mountains End. And it's so good to meet you in person. I've got your book right here. The first one that I found you in a long time ago, uh-huh. uh, The Meditation of John Muir, and just near and dear to my heart. So it's a real joy and pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. I'm glad to be uh, you're, you're in, in one mountain range and one area and out west, and here I am in the Blue Ridge Mountains out here in the east. So yes. yeah, it's nice to mountain to mountain, mountain to mountain. That's right, and, there, <laughs> and everything that's in between. I hope everybody who's listening gets a chance to get to the mountains for a while. In fact, it sounds like one of your heroes was John Muir, who was a a mountain man for sure. Correct? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. He. Yeah, I, I kind of came to him through just my love of nature and in the West, and particularly in the starting in the Seattle area, but. You know, he he had a home in in the San Francisco Bay Area, and so I I visited his home several times. And one of the great joys was after the Muir book was published, I was uh, invited to speak uh, at the um, at his home 
Oh, uh, and I met I met his um, great grandson there as well. So, wow, yeah, That's, that yeah. is what a great privilege. Was it like you thought it would be to to meet his grandson? Uh, yeah, I like? mean, sure. I mean, just just people who love nature and and people who have a sensitivity to the environment um, and to that that uh, connection to history that that runs through. Uh, from from Muir, and of course he got it from Thoreau and many others. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a long a long line of um, you know what I people I used to think of as saints, and now I kind of have this sense of well they're natural natural saints or secular saints as I like to say sometimes. So, yeah. Wow! So you were a Protestant minister for fourteen years and an interfaith. Yeah collaborative, open-minded, inclusive chaplain for 25 years. I got that from your website. Now you're, you know, you are what you call a, are a free thinker. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your story and your background and how that all came to be? Uh, yeah, I'll try to give you the uh, thumbnail version of that. <laughs> um, I, right. Uh, youthful time, I was uh, evangelical, um, wanted to convert the world to my point of view. And um, outgrew that um, partly through, um, I think just, I think it was just the the connection with people and 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 more of a love of nature, more of a um, my own journey of thought and and reason, um, a love you know a, a appreciation I suppose for for science for philosophy for you know, for, for broader thinking and, you know, that you, you can't be in nature very long before you realize that, um, this is a big world the universe is big and it's a lot bigger than my head and my thoughts. And, um, I'm only a tiny, tiny, as, as John Muir said, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're no more important than the smallest, uh, microscopic uh, beings in the in the universe, so um, uh, it's humbling, and I think that humility is kind of what came in when I started working as an interfaith chaplain. Mm. Uh, it it became my my mission, my um, calling, whatever I said back in those days was um, uh, really expanded beyond just being a you know pastor of a church or um, you know serving in one particular denomination of one particular religion because right. uh, I was I was working with many different people of different faiths and no faith uh, to to serve people in the community whether it was in a county jail or uh, homeless shelters and other places on the street so uh, that that um, experience really is what um, uh, expanded my thinking expanded my work uh, and um, then I started writing. I just started writing things down and writing my thoughts, writing the stories. And it, it became my, one of my first books was, um, my address is a river. And that's just a bunch collection of stories from my chaplain years. Uh, because one of the first people on the street gave me that image one day, she said, um, she said, well, back in the day, my own, you know, my lifetime in the past, um, my address was really by a river. And so I thought, that's a great image. That, oh, I... You know, our home, our home is fluid and moves. And uh, that's why rivers have always been 
very important um, images for me and metaphors for me. Me too. Beautiful. I, I love that imagery. Um, makes me want to be there right now by our, by our river. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I heard you say humility and it does take a big grasp of humility or a, a, an ownership of, of that to kind of change what you believe And for me the same way you, what you believe to be fact and true, you know, what does it mean to be a free thinker? Well, it means not to, um, not to see the world or have beliefs or um, really accept any points of view until uh, we freely have chosen those uh, views and, and chosen those beliefs. Uh, in other words, um, it's, it's, in a, it's there's a negative part of it and positive part of it. The negative is to turn away or reject um, uh, traditional um, handed down beliefs. Yeah. Um, that mo- most of us have you know, grew up or have grown up with with um, beliefs that have been handed on. And the word tradition, as I often point out in my classes, um, the word tradition means to hand over. So somebody hands a book to us and they say, this is a holy book, or somebody hands with that, they hand some ideas and beliefs. And they say, here, this is what I believe because it was handed to me from the past. And a free thinker is a person who says, well, let me think about that. Let me consider that. Let me let me um, reason through that a little bit and ask some really uh, important questions. And that's where, for me, it connects with people like Thoreau and Muir and others, because that's what they did. They went into nature to 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 ask a lot of questions and to have that sense of humility uh, to say, "Well, I'm not sure about that." And just because this authority says they're an authority and uh you know this is the way it is doesn't make it so <laughs> yes yes i grew up in a very traditional church uh, the seventh adventist church and learned to love the creator my father he's still alive he's going to be 85 this year and he's back there hiking the appalachian trails probably even as we speak right now wow. doing good and he gave me a, a beautiful love for nature and i grew up believing in the creator Fast forward years, went through some really tough times, a dark night of the soul, and had to come to that ownership, as you're talking about, for myself, Mm -hmm. and looked at a wide variety of beliefs, saying, what do I really believe? And it was the, the concept of the creator. I was driving my, my vehicle at the time and saying, somebody designed this. This is, you know, I know, you know, I know that there is a, a creator and that's what, that was my starting point. And as I, I was actually driving through the mountains and I saw the mountains and I said, somebody designed this. I mean, I know we're looking at a, a moving picture. It didn't always look like this. The The mountains are constantly changing the, the landscape and scenery, but it's that creator concept that that really drew me into nature. And so as you're mm-hmm. talking about this, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of my journey and I'm thinking people who might be listening, especially the younger folks who maybe haven't had a chance uh, to own for themselves. Did you meet some resistance from people who were just adamant about that Protestant faith that you grew up in? Well, yeah, I suppose. But as I say, it was more like you walk into a landscape and you think, well, um, I believe in just uh, 
um, pine trees. I, I just believe in pine trees. They're they're my favorite trees. That's all I want to all I'm concerned about. So you walk into a a landscape and there are hundreds of species of of different trees. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, wait a minute. There's really only a pine tree, and that's all that matters. And other people are saying, yeah, but yeah, well, look at this cedar over here, you know, and here's a sequoia. Wow. And say, oh well, I guess I could. I guess I could consider at least looking at that. Um, so that to me is kind of the growth, the, the literal kind of the forest of faith out there, and um, you know the landscape of um, of, of belief uh, that that. Uh, and and I I just kind of grew even as I grew out of faith myself. Uh, I I still appreciated. The different perspectives and these different uh, the different trees in the in the forest. So yes. I, I, I as a chaplain, I learned one very important thing: you be present with people and listen. Wow! You just listen a lot because how else are we going to learn? Is if we don't listen, practice you know intensive, intentional uh, listening. So that's how I approach the world. It's like I, I'm constantly surprised and and curious about the world. And I still am in terms of, of issues of religion and faith. Uh, that's why I write weekly columns for our local paper back here in Asheville. Um, and it's the religion pages. And, you know, and, and most of most of what's on there is conservative Christian because we're in the South. And um, uh, Billy Graham was, was a neighbor down the road. So... Uh, you know, it's really a matter of uh, paying attention and, yeah. and 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 as I say, listening to to the different perspectives that uh, that come along. And that's what I do. I try to pay attention to what's going on in the world, what I read, what I hear, what my wife and I talk about because she's a Protestant minister, as I was. Um, and so we get along pretty darn well. And so <laughs> it kind of just is a constant reminder that people secular people or humanist people and uh, and people who are in the Christian faith or Jewish faith or Muslim faith doesn't matter um, can can cooperate and and learn to care for each other and learn from each other yeah uh, so that's what I write about every week for the newspaper that's that's beautiful boy so many things are exploding in my head right now because <laughs> this podcast or this mountain Zenden has been about connecting with nature for mindfulness and personal growth. And we are just now starting to really delve into the spiritual aspects of that. I think I kind of steered away from that in the beginning because of the the tension it can cause of people when you, you start to talk about God and people have all these different images and, or there's oh, yeah. atheists. And now you're talking, you're, you just mentioned something beautiful. You said, listen, and I, the thought to listen is to love came to my mind right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, to love mm-hmm. is to listen. And I'm so glad you talked about your wife being still being a Protestant minister. How do you guys, yeah. what's it like at the dinner table or just before bedtime? <laughs> How do you reconcile? What did she think of your free thinking journey and, and vice versa? Well, she, she's been very supportive of that. And I, I support the kind of work that she does. When we met, she was the director of a large interfaith council, so multi-faith, many different religions, um, who actually could sit together in the same room and have conversation and do things together, became friends, um, didn't really matter 
on the one hand, it didn't matter what, what people believed. On the other hand, it was kind of, you know, it's, it's the curiosity. It's the education part of that. It's like, well, what can I learn from you? Tell me about Islam, because I'm hearing all this stuff in the, you know, in the media about that. But what's your experience of Islam? And, you know, we so we end up having, because I was doing interfaith work as a chaplain, we met both doing that kind of work. Mm. Um, and fundamental to all that was that we have and can, we had and continue to have uh, a deep concern for people who are vulnerable, people on the edges, marginalized people, people who are poor, people who are um in you know living in precarious situations uh and we have a sensitivity to that because we worked with those folks for so many years and mm. hearing their voices so the listening isn't just listening to you know rabbis and imams and priests and and others or um you know people who are leaders in religion but those who are have been tend tend to be on the outside who have been either pushed out by the religious traditions or the society, wider society, or um, they just don't find the relevance in it. They just don't find anything that that connects with their real lives every day. Yeah. So we we were involved in those lives and listening to those people and and trying to work together, uh, drawing on the energy of these all these you know the forest of faith people. You know, bringing them all in there. We have friends who are um, Wiccan witches, and we have friends who are uh, Zen priests and uh, Dominican sisters. Uh, you know, we're 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 all over the map with this uh. because because that's because the map is where we live. You know, all of us, if we're honest and serious, you know, we live on this um, uh, this island of diversity. Uh, and and we love that. My wife and I love that. And so um, we yeah we have some differences when it comes to uh, some theological things. But uh-huh. but she's pretty she's pretty progressive, and I was pretty progressive as a minister. And um, um, and, and yet we also still have uh, friends and family who are pretty conservative in their beliefs, uh, and we love them. We love those people. They're they're our family. They're our friends. So that on the one side you love them, are they threatened by your? <laughs> yeah, that's what I think of because I have, again my traditional background is that's where it takes me right away. Is if you're not believing what we taught you, if you're not believing as you know, if you're not in lockstep with everything you've been taught, you are you have fallen away from the faith and you're lost. Right, right. Well, yeah, there's some of that. There's some of that, and sometimes we have to avoid certain conversations, and then. We live in a time now where uh, a lot of uh, religion uh, gets um, intertwined and entangled with politics. And uh, so it's just getting harder and harder to uh, to go past that and to keep thinking, well, wait a minute, um, the loving connection relationship, the interrelationships are way more important uh, if we can still listen to each other and still have conversations, still laugh about things and, yes, yeah. you know, sh- share share ideas about movies or books and things uh, or just the beauty of, of the natural world. I mean, take a take a walk, take a hike with 
with someone who has a very different worldview. And pretty soon, it doesn't take long before you're noticing the same sounds, the same smells, seeing the same animals and insects. And, and you think, wow, isn't this beautiful? And you go, oh, yeah, this is beautiful. It doesn't matter what you believe about afterlife or, you know, all the theological stuff. You come back to what's here, what's now, isn't it good to be alive? Boy, and that we can yeah. all find commonality in. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, oh, that's yeah. Oh, wonderful. I'm a tour guide for Green Jeep Tours here in Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm-hmm. And when we're up there and, you know, you, you hear people talk and you can kind of get a feel of their background and what they believe and what they don't a lot of times, especially if you spend, it's a three and a half hour tour, so you learn a lot. And there's a spot we'll stop and point out we're walking up to a waterfall and there's a ponderosa pine really big one that's you know really old and i tell them especially on a warm day if you smell the bark you can tell it's either vanilla or butterscotch and each ponderosa has its own (laughs) scent and everybody usually agrees and i had one guy say uh, you know most people say yeah this one smells like butterscotch and uh, every now and then somebody will say vanilla i had one guy tell me chocolate and i said well you're just hungry <laughs> but we, <laughs> we we can all agree on like you were saying we can all agree on this um the beauty of nature yeah there might be yeah. some like woody allen who say i love nature but i don't want any of it on me <laughs> and don't <laughs> and are a little afraid of it but um, but other than that what a connecting point do you, it's in your articles that you're writing and in your, your day-to-day work, do you tap into that? Uh, is, I don't know what your articles are like, but I'm guessing yeah, it's like yeah. your books, correct? Yes. Well, a lot, of, a lot of my books, actually, that I've been putting out the last few years are almost primarily uh, collections of my columns, my weekly columns, um, and then interspersed with some other things, blog posts and other poetry sometimes. Uh, you know, I guess you could still say they're they're my meditations, my, my reflections on uh, what's what's really going on um, yeah. around me. So I'm always tying in something from the natural world because seriously, I mean, I, my wife and I kind of laugh about this. Um, you know, we're we live in right on the edge of a forest. We're up in a what they call a holler back here. You know, it's a <laughs> It's a hollow um, uh, canyon or uh, valley um, here in the Asheville area, and it's a it's very wild. And so we have everything from um, you know snakes going by and coming around uh, to black bears who wander right by, um, very close. I mean, like I have a window over here about ten feet away. And they're right there. I mean, oh, they walk close. right by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Black yeah. bears um, and turkeys and rabbits and bobcats and it just goes on and on and on. But you know what? I'm I get really fascinated by the the tiny things, the insects, the the and, and I'm constantly I I can almost say it's a, a, a everyday occurrence now that um, I'll see something and I'll say, what is that? What is that? And I'll get down there and close. Sometimes I'll try to take a picture of it. And but it's really this experience that I I think I learned once again from people like John Muir and all the people I used to work with on the streets and the jails, people on the edges. Um, it's a different perspective 
It's mm-hmm. a different perspective. And it draws out that kind of curiosity where you have to ask those those questions again. Um, I don't know what this is. Just like we meet a person and we say, I don't know what your experience is. I don't know, you know, tell me your story. And yeah. so I find a little insect or a little creature. I don't understand, I don't really understand what it is. And I say, What's your story? And you know, what is your story, you little thing? I want to know what you, what you are, but then kind of like Muir again, it's, it's sort of, well, do I have to name it? Do I have to, do I have to know what it is because it's right here? And, and because that we we live pretty close to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And, um, you know, we're told that there are just about more species in that park area, in those mountains, than anywhere on the planet. Really? And so we're not that far from it. So I, I kind of learned from some of the naturalists that uh, there are so many species we don't, we don't know. So here's the humility part of it. You see something and you say, what is that? I've never seen that before. It's possible. It's, it's very possible. No one's ever seen that before. Still. And that, in that's 2022. What, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not even scientists and others have seen that, whatever that is, that species. Wow. And that, that's thrilling to me. That, that's what makes life really exciting to you say, wow, I'm, I might be seeing something. Uh, it's the same kind of feeling I used to get when I used to, um, I don't do it so much now. Um, I used to climb trees quite a bit. And, and I, you know, that's where I, in my, my new book, the eye to eye book. Yes. You know, it's, so it's peculiar perspectives of a free thinker. And, and that's what I mean by that is I've always enjoyed getting peculiar perspectives, new perspectives, and maybe it's climbing a tree. Maybe it's going on a deer trail where I don't think other people have been on, uh, or just seeing these species that uh, are surprising and uh, bring bring life alive. Wow! Yeah, wow. it's cool. Yeah, I love that that <laughs> sense of of curiosity. Again, I've been reading a lot recently about these authors and inventors and deep yeah. thinkers. Uh, we're always curious. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Emerson, Muir, uh, Thoreau. Uh, yeah. I wanted sharpen and develop that sense of curiosity do you have any tools or ideas that would help us to to do that I mean, you kind of talked about getting outside and just opening your eyes anything beyond? yeah yeah well i don't know that there's any kind of um trick to it or clue or tool because um as i say the probably the the greatest lesson i brought from my many years as a chaplain was this the listening, yes, but the only way you can listen to people is if you are present with them. So we always talked about it being a presence ministry or a presence chaplaincy. Yeah. And and that's the way we learn anything, and that's what we gain from nature as well. So I I think that's that's maybe a the key or a, a major thing to be aware of is how present are we being. Yeah. in these situations and then what do you do when you're present you breathe you you recognize you're alive um i always say that i 
I learned how to breathe from my Buddhist friends. Because I used to go to a Buddhist retreat center quite a bit, and my wife and I were married at a Buddhist retreat center awesome. um, with with um, uh, people that uh, interfaith people that that uh, we know and are are friends of ours. But it, but it was really that sense of can you be present? Can you breathe? Can you sense how alive you are, and that you share life with? what's around you mm, and yeah. and then you listen and your senses open up you see things that you don't normally see so that's part of i'd have to say brett that's one of the things i struggle with in this term spirituality and spiritual i i i struggle with that i've wrestled with that for a long time because it tends to be that that people are looking for something beyond nature Mm-hmm. and something outside of our senses. And what I'm thrilled about is just our senses, just the natural world. Yes. And that's, that's to me, I wrote a book called Nature is Enough, and that's exactly what I meant. Is na- nature to me, the natural world, the natural universe is totally enough. And I, I lived many of my year, many years thinking that that um, I'm always thinking about what's beyond, what's beyond, what's behind that. What's what's, what's the spirit in that tree? What's the, you know, what's the um, the spiritual presence uh, in this place? And we have a lot of friends who feel that way, and I guess my wife has that sense too. But I I let go of that. I don't. I'm not criticizing it so much as I'm just asking the question: Why isn't nature? enough Hmm. why aren't our senses enough yes including our feelings and our thoughts that's all part of who we are so are you saying um that you can get all your all your spiritual needs met i was going to ask you uh what does prayer mean to you do you have you you pray (laughs) what do you have this like a desire to talk to the designer the creator of nature where this came from how do you what do you think of, of that um, well, to, you know, to be honest and blunt, I mean, I, I did let go of prayer when I let go of spirituality and let go of a sense of, of a lot of the words that we place on mystery mm. and the, the unknown. We say sacred, we say divine, we say spiritual, um, we say supernatural, supernatural. Yes. And I guess I got to the point where I thought, you know, na- the natural is super enough for me. And, and so I don't, I don't need that. Even though I understand when people uh, say those things, I understand most of the time, I guess I understand when people say, well, this is a spiritual experience. And, um, but that becomes exclusive. Oftentimes it's like, well, I'm having a spiritual experience. Mm. What are you, what are you having? You're just a secular person. You just, you know, don't you feel what I feel? Well, maybe right. I do feel what you feel, but I'm not calling it by those names that add that it's nature plus. Yes. It's nature super. It's just something above, beyond, behind, beneath the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I I think for me, John Muir was um and is uh, you know, really one of the bridges. For me, I think if a person is kind of, um, kind of secular, but still kind of spiritual or spiritual and kind of wondering, right? I think Muir, Muir is a good one because he still uses the language 
from a hundred some years ago, right? It's the old language. Um, and yet, and yet there's a thread that runs through Muir where he's, uh, he honors the natural world so much that he capitalizes the word nature quite often. And he'll say things about nature and you think, well, wait a minute, that's supposed to be what the traditional God does, creates, creates things, causes things to happen in the world. Yes. And Muir kind of was on the edge, and I, and I think of him as a bridge, uh, of saying, well, it's nature's doing these things. And yes, he still said there, the, there is a God, creator. But his focus was here and now in the natural world to the point where he would say, you know, I've been out in this, in this valley today or up on this mountain, and I've been in heaven. And who would want any better heaven? Who would wow. want any greater heaven than this? Yeah. And if I died right now, I'm already there. And I love that idea. Boy, that is beautiful. I think of the thing that Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's here yeah. now. Oh, yeah. And, and you pointed that out really well. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I still teach classes on, on Jesus' thought. Um, and I, you know, I, I still have this sense that we can, wherever wisdom is, uh, we can learn. I agree. We can, we can, we can draw from that wisdom. Uh, whether it's in some ancient texts or uh, ancient teachers or current uh, current teachers. But I, I still, for me, I think the and I think it was for Muir and I think it was for, for Henry Thoreau as well, is that the, the primary teacher, the great teacher, is nature. And mm-hmm. all we need to do is, is learn more, go deeper into nature, even right around us. Uh, to be more aware and attentive to what the lessons are from from these spiritual teachers or sacred teachers or or professors that we have um, that sometimes have six legs, sometimes <laughs> have, sometimes have eight legs, sometimes have a lot of eyes, and uh-huh. <laughs> it's strange. Maybe maybe sitting on your arm, sucking some blood out. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> it makes you look yeah. at it all in a different light. Oh, yes. This is beautiful. As we're talking about Henry Thoreau and these other um, free thinkers, basically Emerson and, and Whitman and, and Muir. Emerson in particular was also a minister that stepped away from it, correct? Right. Uh, something that I have found myself doing as we're looking at and thinking of these concepts of nature being enough, cap, nature capital N, as you were just talking about, is the desire for human beings, and I think it's fear-based, it has been for me, to want to canonize things. Uh, you know, I grew up, my dad's a, a creationist, uh, believes in creation, and of course I do too. But with creation, I've noticed I had a hard time with Darwin and evolution. And as I've looked, and you're talking about these these different uh, animals that are still being discovered that we don't know. And I, I had this picture of God my picture of the creator, I picture a loving, obviously infinitely intelligent designer who cares about us. But I, rather than canonizing, and this is, he created the elephant, the giraffe, the horse, you know, all these things. And they all looked this way when, when the planet first started, the seven day creation theory, right, right. Or, you know, as taught in the Bible. But I picture, I had this picture and that's it, kind of, I feel almost embarrassed to say, 
it took me this long to see nature as continuous. Um, you know, what is it going to look like a million years from now? And, uh, totally different from what we picture now, or maybe millions mm-hmm. of years. To see nature and and our planet and the universe, a movie versus a snapshot. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting from you as we're talking right now about, um, about these um, concepts of nature being capital N yeah. and being able to yeah. connect with our creator or with your, your higher spiritual being or whatever through nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get me thinking off in different directions here and, and different uh, side trails uh, and, and maybe they're the main, sometimes the side trails end up being the main trail uh, because then that's, that's where the interesting things happen. Right? Yes, <laughs> because yeah. you stum- stumble onto things that you didn't expect uh, which is part of the point. I mean, I think if, for some people, their their spiritual path is you find what you expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you you. I expect to find that. I you know, it's just, this is this is who God is. This is what it means to be have faith or to practice these things. And this is what's going to happen when you go to church. You know what's going to happen, and you know, all these different things, right? It's, but nature's not. <laughs> yeah, right. And nature's not like that. No. I mean, nature's. That's what the word wild is all about. And that's why, that's why Muir could say, you know, it's, it's, um, wildness is a necessity. Yeah. He said, he said, wildness. And then Thoreau, of course, saying, you know, in, uh, in wildness is the preservation of the world. Mm. So, I mean, th- those kinds of concepts, uh, I come back to the wildness and I often have written about this and I've, I use this in my classes too. Because people are a little surprised sometimes because they know I have a background as a minister and chaplain, and they they find out that I'm a secular person now and a humanist person, and so people are a little surprised when I talk about some of these spiritual teachers or religious teachers in the past or wisdom teachers. And uh, one one thing I love to say is, well, think about the origin of the major religions of the world. You know, um, there's uh, Buddha goes into the forest, right? And then Moses goes up on a mountain and um, Jesus is in the desert and Muhammad goes into a cave in the Arabian desert. Um, What's that about? You know, what's that about? Yes. They, They went out and found, heard something, right? And of course, my question as a humanist person is, well, take me there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, n- nobody seemed to ever say, well, take me to the desert or take me up on the mountain or, you know, let me hear those same things, experience those same things. So that is one kind of a thing about religious history that's that's a conundrum for me uh, that raises all kinds of questions. But the fact remains that those stories uh, tell us something about where we're going to uh, well, like you said, the the evolution of of our of our worldviews and how we interact with the world, and if it begins in nature, maybe it should end in nature. Maybe it should travel through nature. And you know, as you were saying, things change. Uh, we we call it design, but then it's constantly changing and. Uh, once again, it's the flow of the river. John Muir has a wonderful passage. Uh, if I can find it, I'll read it. 
um, where he's talking about everything is flowing. Mm. He's, he's, he's by a waterfall in, I think, in Yosemite, and he's just noticing uh, everything. It's not just the water, the air currents, the insects in the air, the clouds overhead, the planets. You know, I mean, it just it just kind of blows your mind with wow. thinking like on every level, it's all about constant flow, constant change. And guess what? You know, we're a part of that. And we have our our blood system, uh, you know, constantly our our breathing, mm-hmm. even our even our brain cells. I mean, things are going on, and uh, <laughs> and we yes. think things we think things are static or or still. And the stillness is great, but in the stillness, I think that's when we can have that mirror kind of perception of well, things things are are in flux and uh there's um and we can learn from that that impermanence mm-hmm. the impermanence of that mm-hmm. yeah. i think that's another thing that scares us about death and i mean the big picture you know as the stoics talked about momentum more remember death that even with nature who was it that called it red toothed? In other words, the blood, you know, it's, it's, it's not safe. Nature is not safe. And it's wild, as you said, but that's what makes this whole life an adventure. And I think I'm finding myself being more and more willing to let go, not just of my fear of nature or of, you know, coming across a grizzly bear or whatever, but my fear of coming across a new thought or a new idea. And so I'm, I keep coming back to this free thinking idea as somebody who grew up in a really heavily steeped religious tradition. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking of folks like yeah. that. But I know when I step outside now, based on our conversation today and what you've been sharing, Chris, is that I will look at it even more differently, even more openly and um, see, I'm sure, see things that I didn't see before as a result of this conversation so far. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And well, that's that's one reason why, you know, this latest this latest book, um, Eye to Eye, really kind of um, encapsulated some things for me because I go back to I, I used to uh, edit a little newspaper, a little little uh, newsletter for um, my uh, jail chaplaincy a number of years ago. And uh, I called it Eye to Eye. And my my whole thing was that we're only going to find out what people are experiencing and what they're going through, as I said earlier, uh, by by being present with them, listening to them, and being eye to eye. And in in the, j- in the jail setting, uh, you know, this whole thing about people, uh, you know, we, our ancient teachings of eye, t- eye for an eye mm. kind of thing. We, we want the vengeance, we want revenge, we want justice right justice well what is justice but but somehow restoring relationships somehow um you know and and you can't always do that i'm not i definitely was not an idealist Mm -hmm. about those things but the the humanity part of it uh was was all about meeting people no matter who they were what they've done meeting them as person to person, human to human, eye to eye, uh, and maybe I'll learn something. 
Maybe I'll take something from this to educate people in the community. Uh, maybe I can help this person. Maybe just being with them is helping this person. This person. So I, I took that kind of thought of the eye-to-eye idea and just took it into nature. And yeah. it's, this, it's the same thing out in, you know, we're part of nature. We are nature, as Walt Whitman told us. You know, we are nature. Um, but when we get out into the wilds, uh, I think we find our own wildness, and we do that because then, what is what is it like to look into the eye of um, a small creature, or um, you know, one of the black bears wanders by and you know c- catches my eye, and they, they catch my eye, and you know, back and forth, and this whole sense of what do you, what's going on in there, what's what what's in there, what what are you thinking, what are you thinking, what. And your eyes are are the the windows, you know, and they're 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 allowing this um, this consciousness of of uh, not being alone. Mm-hmm. We're not alone. We're part of a community, and it's a wild community, which means you can't predict it. You don't, and you and you do have fear sometimes. I have fear when I'm out, and I you know I have I have fear of things happening, whether it's a tick. Yes. Yeah. The the tiny things. (laughs) Yeah. Or one of, or one of our copperheads around here, (laughs) the snakes, um, some of the, some of the spiders, um, and, and some of the bears, but, you know, most creatures as I love to, as I love to remind myself and pass along is that, you know, creatures are not out to, to hurt us. They're not, they're not, they're not living their lives looking to, to hurt us, to harm us. Um, they're more afraid of us than we'll ever be of them um, because we can kill them and mm-hmm. we do, you know, yeah. we, we can harm them and we do. Yeah. Um, One, so that's the balance. That's the balance. It's interesting. You said that just now and made me think of the, the, the struggle that folks have with the passage in Genesis talking about, you know, God created man and then gave him dominion, have dominion over the earth. Yes. And in the past, I think I've pictured dominion as, as, you know, you can do anything you want with it. You're the king, the ruler. But what does a benevolent king do? He he takes care of his kingdom. He loves his kingdom. He, he That's what dominion means to me now. And so as you're talking about these animals that can do something to us and we can do something back to them, it makes me want to take care of our planet, our of our surroundings, of, of nature as she takes care of us. As yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, once again, I just I keep going back to Muir because you, you brought him up originally. And I that was my, my first um, my first book uh, a little over 20 years ago. So I um, I come back to him kind of cycle. My trail comes loops back around to Muir quite often. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, his, some of his reflections in his thousand mile walk to the Gulf when he walked from um, Indianapolis down to Florida and then ended up in Cuba, you know, that, that walk in the 1860s, right after the civil war um, was really pretty, pretty incredible and, and risky and, and courageous and kind of crazy Oh yeah, uh, that he did that. But some of his reflections about the natural world along the way are, are priceless. You know, they really are a great, uh, reflections and and in one chapter he really talks about uh the way we the way we treat nature the way we um uh our conceit he uses the word conceitful our Mm -hmm. conceitful eyes i think is what he says 
And and that's the other thing about this eye to eye thing is that you know we can we can look down on creatures, right? And then we get this image of a God who's looking down mm. on us and down on everything. Yes. And so you get these biblical stories that all have to do with going up. Right? Moses goes up on the mountain. Yeah, and Jesus right. goes up on a mountain. Then then Jesus comes out of the grave and Jesus goes, you know, up into the sky. And in the end times, we're all going to go up into the sky so it's this yeah yeah it's Uh, up and down up and down kind of thing um but it it comes back to these my peculiar perspectives (laughs) which 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 have to do with um being willing to see things that no one else is seeing and to pay attention to that and learn from that um and those living things, whether mm-hmm. people or animals, um, and to to learn from our own reasoning, our own our own explorations, intellectual in, in, uh, explorations of of considering what what is this world about. I'm reading a a little more in Carl Sagan right now, and and he he was one of those people who who could use a word like spirit, and he'd go back to the original meaning of breath. Mm-hmm. The breath, the spirit is the breath. That's a very Hebrew concept. Is there, you know, it goes way back, um, and which is a very material thing. It's it's it's, it's still part of this natural world, um, and yet it also is as we're breathing, we're thinking, we're seeing, we're listening, and uh, the world just keeps expanding. It comes down, and uh, one of my teachers um um uh, margaret fuller who was a friend of ralph waldo emerson's uh, margaret fuller uh, somebody who's been forgotten in history and a real feminist and a real a real thinker a real real intellectual person um she said she said we all at times need a microscope and to see the smallest and then we look through a telescope to see the greater. Wow. So we should we should always have a microscope and a telescope, whether it's our eyes that are doing that or our minds that are doing that, you know, or actually using a microscope and a telescope. You know, yeah. the scientist, the scientist, the astronomer, uh, the thinker. You know, it's all part of the same perception. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. <laughs> we tend to look out at the stars and, and the expanding universe outwardly. But yeah, you just reminded us again that the universe is just as big inwardly, microscopically as it is mm, mm. Uh, outwardly. I love that your latest book is called Eye to Eye. Emerson, how did he refer to the human, the soul of the human being wow. being a giant eye? And how they, yeah. he, he was even satirically drawn in a cartoon as a giant eye with legs, I think. Uh-huh, is that uh-huh. part of the, the concept of what you, you were thinking there? Yeah, and I think it was I think it was uh, Henry. I think it was Thoreau who said that the uh, a lake, a lake is the eye of the earth, um, you know, reflecting yes, the, yes. the sky and around the edges. Yes, that's the, what he, he spoke about Walden. That's right. Yeah, about the the trees around the edges or like the eyelashes. You know, I mean, it's it's really it's really pretty cool to see. To see ourselves, that's I guess that's part of the point that he was making, and I 
think it's a great uh, lesson is that the the wildness the the natural world reflects us yes yeah reflects who we are and that you know that's why we constantly you know go to nature to learn more um and i think it's so important to remember as we keep repeating i guess um that that we are that we are part of nature that we you know we tend to think that nature's outside there somewhere you know and it, and i i know why we do that but we trick ourselves if we think that we that nature isn't in us mm. and it, it's it's also kind of sad because you know people who live in cities feel like they're disconnected from nature and in in many ways they are but but no one can ever be completely disconnected from nature and it's so you know all it takes is perception and having the eye and having a peculiar eye sometimes oh, peculiar yes. perspective to see that uh that weed growing through the sidewalk the crack in the sidewalk or to notice that there are birds that nest in the cities and there might be some trees and things are going on in those trees and and then the fact that hey we're all like little ants running around anyway so you know i mean we're 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 the nature wow. as well yeah that is profound yeah. and we all have the sky same sky above us oh yeah so when you're in nature are you do you consider that one giant meditation is there a difference between prayer and meditation for you and what does what does prayer mean to you versus meditation yeah. Um, well, as I said, I, I think I learned from some of my Buddhist friends, as well as contemplative Christians and others, that um, you know, if we can be silent and still, and open our senses to to be awake, uh, to be aware, to pay attention, um, then uh, if we want to communicate. Uh, with with the, the bigger picture or with nature with um, uh, a concept of God um, then that's that's an opportunity that's an opportunity to to put ourselves place ourselves in that kind of um, in those locations of, of stillness that way um, to me, prayer can be a distraction, I think, because words can be a distraction. Mm -hmm. And so much, so many people, when they talk about prayer, they're talking about words. You know, I'm having a conversation with, well, that's, that may be fine if that works for a person. Um, but I, I encourage people to let go of the words, you know, the, the words, you know, ha you can have thoughts too, that's fine. But uh, once again, I, I think I learned from my Buddhist friends, you know, from the, my Christian background, I learned that it's all about words. The word became flesh, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. The, and the Bible is everything. And, you know, you better know your scriptures and you better know. Well, I did all that. I studied the Hebrew and the Greek and in history and all that stuff and learned how to do the prayers and learned how to lead church services. And I did all that. Wow. I did a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer, a lot of public prayer, a lot of other things. And I guess, you know, I, I think it was a Buddhist experience, but it was also the contemplative Christians 
who just said, let it go. You know, let that stuff go. You don't need to, to talk all the time. You don't need to use words. Um, I think it was Muir again who took some people to the edge of the Grand Canyon. And people were jabbering about things. And um, somebody even, I think, even wanted to sing a hymn or quote some scripture or something. And his, uh, his just be quiet. You know, just, just be here, be quiet, take it in. And there aren't any words you can think of, ancient or present, that are going to describe the feeling, the feeling of awe and wonder mm. and beauty. Uh, there, one of my favorite lines in Muir's uh, journals is um, the, the best synonym for God is beauty. Wow. Capital B. Best synonym for God. If, you're, if you want a name for God, just say beauty. And uh, for him, I think that was that was one of his practices is the, can, can you describe the beauty or can you just say, oh, this is beautiful? Well, that's fine. But then where do you go from there? Yes. You know, yes. What, what, what <laughs> words do you find beyond that? Trying to add to the perfection that's already there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think of are you I don't know if you're familiar with Rich Mullins. He was a Christian singer, uh, musician, performer, writer. And he was talking about being backstage just before a concert and they were all gathered in a circle hands and they were, had their heads bowed to, to pray and they were praying and somebody came in and um, joined the circle and he was uncomfortable after like 30 seconds. He said, well, are we going to pray? And somebody uh, quietly said, we are. And that uh, was the prayer it was just the, the, the stillness and the listening and the, the beauty. I saw you say on one of your videos, and I believe it was on your website, you talked about people wanting to bring in altars into, into the wilderness and set up an altar there or bring in, hand out Bible tracts and verses and things right. like that. Yes. Talk, yes. talk a little bit about that, about why you wouldn't want to add to that. Well, that's the point, though. I mean, it's 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 it, we want to add to it. I mean, we want to add to nature. We want to improve nature or use nature, which is the the whole um, concept of conservation. Mm. You know, which is which is great to an extent. You know, but then people like Muir were were preservationists. Let's preserve nature. Let's don't just conserve it because conserving means that you're using it as a resource. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, but I think there kind of needs to be a balance. And some people thought that Muir went a little too far with his preservationist stuff. Um, you know, let's protect uh, something like Yosemite Valley. Um, but don't use it. Don't use it. And, and part of that, I think, was, you know, he wanted people to go to Yosemite. He wanted people to be in nature in the wild places, but not to do a lot of the stuff that we do. You know, it's, it's to go there to, it was a temple for him. It was a cathedral for him, uh, a holy place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. hold, holding up your book, uh, Meditations of John Muir again, Nature's Temple is the... Nature's Temple. Nature's Temple. And I think that that's another, that's a concept that I think that a lot of religious traditions have, have missed and have maybe left behind is, as I said earlier, you know, where did, where did your, the founder of your religion come from? You know, they came from the mountaintops and the, uh, the deserts and, yes. and the forests. And you know, there's, 
why have we forgotten that? What you know, and and Muir in one point, one of the most um uh one of I guess my sacred books, I suppose, these days would be uh and has been for years, my first summer in the Sierra. Uh Muir's a, a story of his first year in the uh in the Sierras. And um uh, at one point in there he says, you know, why are we going out and cutting down the 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 uh, cathedrals in order to build churches you know why why are we cutting down the trees wow. that are already a cathedral already a church and you're cutting all that down and you're doing so that's that's part of where i'm coming from because i've seen a lot of places where people go out and they they you know they they set up things whether it's prayer flags or you know, altars and, and other kinds of things out in the forest um, or in the mountains or wherever. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I think I'm with Muir on that one. I think that's a desecration. I think it's a dese- desecration. Wow. It's conceited at worst and mindless at best, um, just to miss the point of what's right here in front of us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So when you're in nature, um, just being in nature is, is a meditation for me. And I know we kind of mm-hmm. are on the same level as that. Would you yeah, leave us in, yeah. a type, in a kind of meditation, uh, whether it's based on John Muir or who, where, wherever you were being led today to just share a meditation? Um, sure. I, I, I think that um, I was reading this again last night and I, this, collect, this collection, the eye to eye collection, um, you know, I I stand out quite often when I'm eating lunch. I'll stand out on the deck under the sycamore tree and there's all these different... We live in a real tree land here, as, as you probably do too. And so it, it's there's always this flow of life going on. And and one of the things... Um, do, do you want me to read something right yes, now? Yes, I would love it if you would share, please. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, reading and comment a little bit, but uh, I've got a chapter called Hover Bees, and um, I like to give names to creatures because I don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then somebody later says, oh, that's one of those. those. And I say, well, yeah, but to me, these the little these little bees sometimes that come in, they're, they're like um, uh, they're like tiny little um, hummingbirds. And, you know, I I've experienced a lot of things growing up in the northwest and being in the bay area so I, i've been in nature a lot i've seen a lot of creatures but as i say i, I haven't seen a lot of the same things so i guess they're carpenter bees or something but they 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 fly up right in front of me sometimes and they just hover they're just kind of buzz and they hover so this is this is how i say it in this chapter i call them hover bees carpenter bees i suppose Standing outside on a warm afternoon, one of these fat buzzers will zoom in to take a closer look at me. They may glide right up in front of my face, black, fuzzy, buzzy, and I'm delighted. He, I think these are male bees, looks me in the eye probably for the same reason I stare back with a silly smile. Curiosity. A buzzing hovering curiosity. 
The same delight zooms in when those hovering questions buzz in to demand or command my attention, my vision. I'm startled and stung into consciousness. As several inspiring professors taught us in college, let a question hang in the air for a lifetime of thought or something similar. Or as James Baldwin told a gathering of teachers, he said, to ask questions of the universe and then learn to live with those questions is the way an educated person achieves their own identity. And of course, as I often say in my own classes, the best answers are often questions. And then I go on in this part to talk about my youthful days um, when we used to listen to Jesus Christ Superstar and, you know, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> some of those, those great things. It's just this, this concept of, of buzzing something in your face and it's, it's looking right at you with the eye to the eye. Um, so this is how I end it. Um, Graham Nash uh, sang a song uh, called Right Between the Eyes. It popped into my head now and then uh, back in my chaplain days. The simplicity of the melody and the lyrics held deep meaning. My head is hanging heavy with the thoughts of him in mind. Tis sacrilege for us to take advantage of the blind. So tell before you come to me from out of yonder skies. A man's a man who looks a man right between the eyes. So this is my comment. We might make, we might say we look a person right in the eyes, but the songwriter's meaning is clear. He feels the pain of another. He sees them, really sees them. He's been up that street, he writes, and he sings, talking from experience, I know how he would feel. So then I say, the point is, see a person, empathize, look them in the eye. I guess that's really all I wanted to say on this for now. Hover bees are carpenters. They're buzzing and building, flying in zigzags and chewing holes in posts. What are the hovering questions we have to live with? Looks like that's the central one right there between our eyes. Wow. That is beautiful. <laughs> Thank profound, you. profound. What a meditation. Thank you. Thank you. Man, yeah. where can we find this book, Eye to Eye, and all your other 20 plus books that you've written? Uh, yeah, you just. Yeah, they're on Amazon. Um, you can check them through my uh, my website, Friendly Freethinker. Friendly Freethinker. Dot com. Um, uh, actually, it's um, cheyland.com. Cheyland. Chris, first Chris. Cheyland.com. Um, but just go to Amazon, type in my name, and you'll, you'll find them. I've got about, I don't know, a bunch, a couple dozen books now. As a result of our conversation today, I have so many more questions, which is good because you said, as you reminded us, the best answers are in the question. So 
And and you've led us through a beautiful forest of faith and, and talked about the islands of diversity. Chris, this has been an amazing conversation. Can we continue it down the road? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've I enjoyed have it. More time. I have too. And I feel like I've made a new soulmate. That's a friend here. Sure. So thank you so much. Mount, mountain to mountain, you know. Mountain to mountain. Blue, blue Ridge to the Rockies. That's right. Beautiful. There's yeah. something there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, bless you in your day. And for uh, thank you again so much for being here, Chris. I appreciate Same it. Same to you. Same we'll to be you. In touch. Take good, good care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Mountain to mountain. From Blue Ridge to the Rockies, we have explored the forest of faith and islands of diversity with friendly freethinker Chris Highland. I really enjoyed that. What a profound time spent here today. I'm so glad you were here to be a part of the growing nature-loving community today at Mount Zenden. If you enjoyed today's show and learned even one thing that could help you on your journey of growth through mindfulness and connection with nature, would you share this podcast with someone else who you think would benefit from it? Also, it would help us immensely if you would take a few moments to rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What a blessing that would be. Thank you. Remember... Life is a gift, nature's a gift, and you are a gift back to the world. We'll see you back here next week. Take care, friends.